0: Communication is so key just in marriage in general, but if you have been going down a certain road and then all of a sudden you want to make a U-turn or, you know, a right turn, you have to say this to the person that you're with because they might not be on the same page. They probably aren't on the same page and you can't read minds. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany.
1: We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world.
2: Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom.
1: Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, Before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, uh, working dad with, uh, a son at home. This is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the, the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. And you're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest and her husband have achieved financial independence before the age of 50. He is the creator of the blog 1500days.com, and she is the co host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. She's also best friends with Alex Felice. Mindy and Carl Jensen, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom.
0: <laughs> How much did he pay you to drop his name? <laughs> I cannot
1: disclose such information. I, I've signed a non-disclosure
0: agreement. I'm not sure it means anything.
2: How many people know Alex Felice?
1: He was on our An,
2: first ever
0: episode. Yes,
1: enough people know Alex Felice. I know, I'm I joking. Don't really, I don't really care.
2: Oh, Alex.
0: If you've met him once, you will never forget him. This um, is true. I am very excited to be here, Neil and Brittany. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, yes. yes so.
1: Thank you. Yep. All right, so let's. we're going to go into your background a little bit. Let's rewind the clock a little bit to 2013. Mindy Carl is a software developer earning a good wage, but you know he's hating life. Uh, he's stressed. Uh, stressed at his job, and after an extraordinarily bad day at work, he searches Google for how can I retire early, which leads him to the blog for Mr. Money Mustache. Now, the story I've heard is that he immediately comes downstairs and tells you he wants to retire early, but not just early, but in 1,500 days. Can you recall how you felt when Carl Face first came downstairs and told you his plan?
0: Do it, because you are miserable at your job. (laughs) He was really, really, really stressed out. He was a computer programmer, but he was writing software for the, the, uh, thing that gives you, that chooses a unit of blood so that you don't die. So there's a bit more pressure than just, you know, connecting to people on Facebook. He's actually choosing bloods that, choosing blood that, uh, is compatible with your Rh factor and your blood type and all these other things that I don't know anything right. about. And there was a bug in the code or they thought there was a bug in the code. There wasn't no bug. I want to make sure that's very clear because it sounds it sounds like you're a bad programmer when I say, oh, there was a bug in the code. There's but he always thought bugs there in the code. This, well, <laughs> not in his code, Neil. He's okay. perfect. <laughs> but they thought there was this bug in the code and he was just having these massive panic attacks and this like anxiety. I can't live this way for another 40 years. And, you know, I was there. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I saw him going through this and I'm like you have to quit your job. We'll figure it out. You know, go do something that isn't so stressful. Yeah.
3: And and I was completely shocked at the time too, because I had never heard of early retirement before I Googled it and found Mr. Money Mustache. And when I found his blog initially, I'm like, what kind of, at at first I thought, wow, I've stumbled upon some kind of internet scam. Like no one retires in their 30s. (laughs) Completely ridiculous. But I gave it a chance and read it a little bit more and realized that it was just pretty simple math and that we could do it. But what shocked me most was I come running down the stairs and tell Mindy this and she's like, oh, okay, do it. I thought she would think I'm insane and throw me out of the house and <laughs> of the horse or something. So I'm very thankful that we were on the same page with that. Well, you know, it can be challenging for
1: couples who, when one spouse discovers fire, the, the fire community or real estate or both, And suddenly, you know, comes downstairs and says, hey, if we stop spending all our money and save it all, we can we can retire in five years. How does that sound? And the reaction isn't always positive. Now, with the two of you, you were already both pretty frugal. And Mindy, you know, with the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, you probably hear these kinds of stories all the time. How do couples navigate that possible disconnect between where they're at?
0: Conversation. Uh, <laughs> what? Really? Communication is so key just in marriage in general. But if you have been going down a certain road and then all of a sudden you want to make a U turn or, you know, a right turn, you have to say this to the person that you're with because they might not be on the same page. They probably aren't on the same page and you can't read minds. Maybe you can, Neil. But uh, Brittany can't (laughs) read mine. So if you want her to know something, you have to tell her. And, you know, I see so many people don't have the conversation, you know, start it off with, hey, what do you think our lives look like in 10 years? Where do you want to be? What's your dream thing? And just start that off with not stop spending every penny, but more like, look at this idea, look at this life that we could have. If we make little changes, because it doesn't have to be a massive change. I mean, it can be if you're really spending a boatload of money, but it doesn't have to be a massive change. It can be small changes that make huge impacts on the road.
2: Yeah, I've seen, you know, there's in the, when you look at people in the fire community, it seems to be there's a real range of what people do to come to fire and you've got Mr. Money Mustache who's probably on the the most extreme end for a lot of people cuz he's at least previously he was, he was very extreme frugality. extreme frugality that's a great yes and then some people just you know are are um more in on like going in on lots of stocks or real estate or anything like that. So it's always interesting to see what people come upon and and where they can find that, what works for their family. But I mean, that's really that conversation is kind of where we started because we have all of these goals and we really can't make them where we're at right now. We can't do the things that we want to do. So it's important.
1: So you now live in a suburb of Denver that is also home to uh, Pete Adney, Mr money mustache. Was that a conscious decision? I have to ask, was that a conscious decision to move to Longmont to be closer to the...
2: Neil's very curious. uh, Yeah,
3: it kind of was not it kind of wasn't. So after I discovered the fire movement, I'm like, we have to downsize our house. We didn't do a whole lot of major changes, but we weren't happy in the first place with where we lived. We had this ridiculous house that was almost 5,000 square feet. We each had our own toilet, which is pretty nice. But on the other hand, it's kind of ridiculous. Four people, four toilets. So we, we didn't need this. And I realized if I wanted to make my goal, we should probably downsize. And uh, we weren't happy there anyway. We were planning on moving back to the Midwest where we were from before we had moved back to, before we had moved to Denver. So, but then I discovered the fire movement and uh, I'm like, oh, maybe we should give Colorado just one more chance. I found this crazy blogger guy this mr money mustache and menu is probably like what the heck are you talking about oh he says this town up in this longmont town is pretty great i'm I'm gonna send this guy an email see if he responds so i didn't think he would because he was uh he's huge now but he was pretty big back then but he was like hey why don't you come up to longmont i'll give you a tour of the town i'm like oh my god i can't believe this guy responded back to us So we did that. And uh, after the tour, we looked at each other and thought, hey, you know, I think we could make a go of this. Maybe we'll run for a while just to make sure we like it. And we didn't end up doing that. But uh, yeah, the rest is history. We ended up buying a house because we got a super cheap deal on a foreclosure. And uh, the rest is history. We're almost seven years here now. Right.
0: Yeah. Almost Mm -hmm. seven years. So this town is really how would I say this? It really shares a lot of the same values that we do. One of the things that when we were on that tour, I had a little girl. She was, I mean, I still have her. I I had a little one at the time. She's not a teenager yet. Yeah, she was three. And we were, I was pushing her in the stroller and we get to the park and everybody at the park was playing with their kids. And the town that we were living in, it was kind of surreal. When you would go to the park, you would see these moms. Like pushing their kids away. No, you go play. This is my time. And it was just so counter to what I believed was the whole reason for having kids. And that park really kind of cemented it to me. There was one woman on the phone, obviously trying to get off the phone, like, yeah, mom, I'm at the park. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to play with my kids now. But every other parent there was playing with their kids. And I was like, this is the city I want to live in.
3: And the town had a really good library, which I think uh, shows the town has its priorities in place.
0: Yeah, the other town didn't even, they had a library, but it was open like four hours a day because the town didn't want to pay the, the funding for the library. I'm what? like, how? That's really just the worst Which, thing ever.
1: That makes me very sad.
0: I know, me <laughs> yeah, too. Same. As a, I've already read like three
2: books this year, so <laughs> you
0: <Yeah. laughs>
2: can see what I think about reading. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, well, one, you know, it it's so Im- it it is important. I think, you know, we we recently interviewed um, the Frugal Engineers. I suddenly I can't remember her name, Elizabeth, and you know, they talked about they were living in a very ho- high cost of living area, and you know they they basically sat down and they researched all these different you know, like engineers do all these different categories of what they wanted in the community that they lived in and and they ended up first they ended up in Oregon which was way too high cost of living and then eventually they ended up in in Laramie Wyoming and so when people think about fire you know they get so locked into well, how do we make it work here and if you're living in San Francisco California You got a lot, you have a a much longer journey to financial independence than somebody who lives in Laramie, Wyoming or Colorado.
0: Yes. Um, Although Colorado is getting to be more expensive. Yes. um, We have been able to find inexpensive housing. We've got a really amazing grocery store that sells fabulously fresh fruits and vegetables for the same price, uh, almost as much as you can buy it, as you can grow it yourself in your backyard. And those are your, I work two days a week in Denver and the rest of the time I'm working from home. So like your three big costs are housing, transportation, and food. And we've found ways to mitigate those costs. But I mean, the bottom line is if you're living in San Francisco and you want to continue to live in San Francisco, your FI number is going to be significantly more expensive or more uh, significantly higher than my fi number because I live in a lower cost of area lower cost of living area
1: so carl you you made a good bit of your net worth investing in individual stocks, but now you're in the process of liquidating a lot of those individual stock positions and going into index funds but also into individual real estate deals. Can you talk about why you feel more comfortable? investing in an individual real real estate deal as opposed to investing in an individual stock.
3: Yeah, I'd love to sit here and tell you how smart I was because I bought <laughs> Google when it IPO'd, which I did August 2004 at $85, and now I think it's close to 2000 and it's split, so it's been huge. I bought Tesla when it was in its 20s. Uh we bought Facebook in its 20s, that one's in the 200s, Tesla's in the 500s, but the truth is I'm a tech nerd and I thought these were cool companies and my strength was I held on to them. So now we've got all these gains, but uh, the issue with individual stocks is you never know, especially with technology, when the company is going to, when there's going to be some, some kind of disruption that's going to happen, that's going to make the company irrelevant. This might seem hard to believe, but a lot of technologists say that cell phones aren't going to be a thing in 10 years. Everyone will have, EarPods or some kind of ambient technology to get their text messages, maybe some kind of AR goggles. So I don't really feel comfortable in holding stocks. I'm sure 15 years ago, there was a bunch of people who made loads of money from Nokia or BlackBerry. And then Apple came and ate their cake. Who could have seen that one coming? Or who could mm-hmm. see Google it would be, they're almost a trillion dollar company now, which is insane. A little search engine that Microsoft tried to buy for $10 million years ago. <laughs> So I don't I definitely don't feel comfortable holding these individual stocks because while they've done well, you never know when the tide is gonna turn and uh they're not going to be relevant anymore. Real estate is great because I can control a lot more of it. So yeah, that's what's drawn us to real estate. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but we like to live and flip because we can control our own destiny and we need a place to live. So <laughs> Uh, we're making money on our primary house. I, I don't subscribe to the religion of home ownership that people do in America. You have to own a house. I think that's not a good idea for a lot of people. But in our case, a live and flip makes it worthwhile. I think I totally went off on a tangent there, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. Re- it's rephrase fine. rephrase your question
1: if I need <laughs> it, to redo that. No, not, you
2: you covered it. I yeah, think, not really. And
3: and
1: you know, that's what we what we wanted to dig into. It's a nice yeah, segue. We so. can
2: yes. It's a great segue. So we have not talk to anybody about live and flip. So could you go kind of a little deeper into that and describe to our audience what that looks like?
3: Sure. So we buy a house, we try to buy, there's a lot of moving parts to it. So we evaluate the whole city. So Longmont was appealing to us because it's not perfect. There's still a lot of rough edges to it. For example, when we first moved here, there were multiple pawn shops on Main. But what we also saw is the cities on the upswing there's a very high cost of living area right down the street from us called Boulder, Colorado, and no one can afford that. So they all move to Longmont. So that's number one. We look for a town that's uh, that's on the upswing. But then we look for a house in a really nice neighborhood. But that's been that but that's been neglected. A lot of people freak out when they see a pink toilet or a blue bathtub mm-hmm. or like foil wallpaper. You know, I still freak out when I see wallpaper because <laughs> wallpapers is a pain to deal with. Yeah. But when I see those cosmetic things, a lot of people just don't want to deal with those. And we do. So we look for a house with great bones, but that's very cosmetically ugly and that has things that we can fix up and uh, hopefully sell
0: in a couple of years for a tax-free profit. Go ahead. But there are things that we don't want to tackle like i will not buy a house that has been uh meth infested mm-hmm. i don't even care if it's been remediated i don't want a meth house i don't want to deal with molds because we're living in this property we need to move in really close after we close and i don't want to deal with a mold situation a broken foundation can make a home unsafe it depends on how broken it is but there's some things like some big deep issues that we won't tackle um, but so for the most part, it is cosmetic. We have added second stories. That's a lot of work. Mm, oh, I bet. I bet.
2: I'm curious how, I mean, you You said you're living in
0: these for like a couple of years typically. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So we live in them at least two years before we sell because then we can take advantage of the Section 121 tax. Of the tax code, it says any capital gains that we realize up to $500,000 as a married couple or $250,000 if you're single are tax free. So all of my profits, because I have never hit that that pinnacle of $500,000 <laughs> yet, but all of our profits are nothing taxed. Um, they go all into my pocket instead of Uncle Sam's. And frankly, I think I know how to spend them better than Uncle Sam does. <laughs>
2: So I, I'm, again, I'm curious what that looks like. So you're kind of moving a lot. Do you guys sort of minimize your stuff? Like, how do you make that work so that it's easier? <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't know if that <laughs> we're going on. That off would when... be a
0: really good idea. You would think we would do that. But no.
2: <laughs> well, you have kids. I don't know. I, I, you know, so you can only do so much, at least from my experience.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I have Hoarder tendencies. (laughs) I I am a grandchild of the great depression. Mm. So you never throw anything away because you you can do something with that, or I might be able to use that later. And that's something that I really struggle with when we moved into, we just moved into our latest live in flip in September. And when we moved in, it was like, why did I pack all this crap? And I'm trying so hard to get rid of it and that would be a really really great tip anybody who's considering this start downsizing now so when you move you're not moving so much stuff that makes sense Yeah, and
3: we've been doing less of them now we have children so we don't want to uproot their lives when we just bought this current one it's in the same town they're going to the same school so we're not doing it every two years like we did before but uh this probably won't be our last, I would say. I think every house, I like buying a house that I know I can put a little sweat equity equity into and solve for a big profit down the road. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, if, you, if you're going to live someplace anyway, you might as well make money off of it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's really what house hacking is. It's just, so you've got this kind of house hacking. We rent our casita out on Airbnb and that helps make us money from, from our house. And there's, you know, there's always, there's, a ton of different ways to house hack. I think it's really cool. This is a one, like I said, we haven't really talked about live in flips. And now I'm like, let's do that. It sounds fun.
0: It Oh, it's great fun. It's great fun because you buy a house that is ugly or stinky uh, because the previous occupant smoked. Or, you know, I just saw. I'm a real estate agent and I just was looking for houses for a client. And I'm, I saw this one house I'm like, is every wall brilliant turquoise colored? Like this is really awful colors in the wall. <laughs> Anybody can paint. Yeah. yeah, it's really not difficult to install flooring. I would I would go with a professional if you're doing carpet, but to install tile is not that hard. You can watch a couple of YouTube videos and get a really great sense of how to do it. You can install wood flooring and laminate flooring and cabinets seem daunting until you realize that they're actually really easy to install. So there's not that much that's difficult. There are a few jobs that I won't do. We already talked about the houses I won't buy, but I'm not getting on the roof and putting down a roof. I will pay somebody to roof it. We (laughs) use my wall and I will definitely spend that money all day long. Gutters, gutters are another utter failure. Sounds like you don't
1: like ladders very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know I actually don't mind a ladder but the exterior ladder not so great yeah. and uh yeah I guess it's mostly exterior work that we don't want to do cement is an art drywall finishing is an art and when you can like when you have that talent you can do it really quickly but when you don't have that talent you can do it, it just takes so much longer I mean how long did it take to finish the drywall in Monona?
3: A long, oh, well, the pro, the pros do it like in two days. They're amazing. If we would have done it, it would have taken us like two millennia. <laughs> you did that one, didn't you? No. the No. People hang, hung the drywall like most of it in Minona. Yes, oh. sirs. Yeah, we did not do that, nor will we ever. The, <laughs> and the thing that separates us from other people who do live in flips is we do do most of the work ourselves. So we need to find houses that have things wrong with them that are within our skill level and stuff we want to do. And uh, I always tell people our best friend is probably the local contractor situation. So, for example, our, we bought this house with a pool, and that's a whole other story. We got it for a deal because of that, but the pool needs some work. And uh, we talked to a local contractor. He's like, yeah, it's going to cost about $20,000 to have it replastered and five to have this plumbing thing fixed. So, a lot of people will hear stuff like that and dismiss it. But then I go to YouTube and find an epoxy product that I can fix the plumbing line with for $100 instead of 5000 and I can replaster myself. It will be a lot of work for like about $2,000. So you have to be strategic about what you do and what you don't do. Like drywall, it doesn't make sense to pay people to do that. Or it does make sense to pay people to do that, the gutters. But a lot of the cosmetic work, the fancy work, like uh, building a nice shower, redoing the kitchen, flooring. Uh, you're gonna pay people a lot of money for that, and it's not that hard. Uh, we didn't know how to do any of this 20 years ago. I was a computer guy, and uh, now it's easier than ever. When we started doing it, we had to go to this thing called the library to get books <laughs> to figure stuff out, and and now it's like three seconds away. You just pull up a YouTube video, have your iPad or tablet next to you, and yeah. watch as the guy on the TV does, and follow with him.
2: Yeah. Well, and you're you're living in it, so the things that you know it can take a while to redo a bathroom or a kitchen just you know if you're tiling and that kind of stuff but you have the time because you're living in it you're not trying to flip it like that you know it's it's really something that you can do once you know one room at a time or you know you can do the the pool in a time that makes sense for you rather than in a couple of days trying to
1: find a contractor who's got the time and and wherewithal to like take it on and do it instead of the 10 other jobs that they're being they're bidding yeah. on right now.
3: And actually here in Colorado just trying to get one that'll return your phone call. If you can get someone to return your call or email, you've uh, you've accomplished something.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's just stuck in Colorado.
3: I think, I think yeah, there's not many hungry
1: contractors right now in this economy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, you bring up a good point is we don't have to do it instantly. When you buy a house to flip, the faster you can flip it, the more money you will make with holding costs and all of that. But you always need a place to live. So we are in the house already. We have to be here for two years so we can do it in a strategic manner. You know, you look and you see, oh, somebody's coming to visit. I'm not going to replace the toilet today. I'm going to wait until they're gone. I'm not going to redo the whole bathroom while I have, you know, my parents in town. I'm going (laughs) to wait. But, you know, then you you'd pull the toilet out because you've got another room with a toilet in it. You put the floor down and you can take your time and do it right. Because again, you're not moving out for at least two years. So it's just, it's a different timeline.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with the Burr method that we've just done on an investment home, we bought in Fayetteville, it's kind of like a flip. We had to do that as fast as possible so we can get a tenant in there and refinance it. Like, it's it's not something that we could have been well it wasn't near us but like if it had been near us we really wouldn't have been doing any of that ourselves because we can't do it fast enough <laughs> yeah
0: right
1: well and you for you your holding costs you know holding costs are going to be a negative for a house flipper for you your holding costs are basically you paying down your mortgage and building equity
0: yes and taking a tax deduction if i itemize for all of my mortgage interest. So in years past, we've been able to itemize and take the tax deduction with the mortgage interest, which I don't believe you can do on a regular flip. That's just regular income.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. So not to get all Brandon Turner on you, um, but I want to do a live end flip. So where do I start? Like what kind of house am I looking for?
0: What are your skills?
1: I can I can swing a hammer. That's about it.
0: Okay. And I can, well, and, no, I can, I can
1: and I can do math.
0: You can watch a YouTube video. And I can
1: watch a YouTube video.
0: You can paint. <laughs> yes. um, you can paint I yes. believe in you. <laughs> if you can swing a hammer, you can install wood flooring. Yeah. So I have an eye must, for design. <laughs> that's really important. I actually don't have much of an eye for design. So I partnered with somebody who does have a good eye for design. And that is actually really important because I have seen some houses that were obviously rehabbed and looking around, you're like, what are you thinking? This is so ugly. There's no way this is going to sell. So first find yourself a good real estate agent if neither of you are licensed and tell them that you are looking for an unattractive but habitable house (laughs) and start looking at every listing that comes in and... You want the smoky house. Mm-hmm. You may or may not want the cat house. Um, <laughs> just don't have shy away from smells. All smoke. the char- charcoal bags just everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. Is that?
2: <laughs> I don't know. That's how I get rid of smells. Charcoal yeah. bags. Yeah.
0: All the charcoal well, bags. <laughs> let me introduce you to an ozone machine. Uh, yeah. 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 $80 on Amazon.
3: Yeah. $80 from Amazon. Poof. All the cigarette
0: smell is gone. Yeah. So this house is carpeted almost 100% uh, we hired a carpet cleaner to come in before we moved in to with a truck mounted carpet cleaning system and that's important because it's a stronger stronger machine than the one that you can get at the grocery store okay we hired them it came in and they cleaned the entire carpet and probably 75 or 80% of the smell was removed just by them cleaning the carpets nice but there was still definitely a smoke smell so we bought this ozone machine on Amazon for $80 and we turned it on. And in one room, it took one time. It was like 30 or 40 minutes. We run the machine and you have to leave the house to do it. I want to make sure that's clear. You can't do it while you're living there. But we we probably ran the machine a total of 10 hours in the house. And now there's no smoke smell. That's amazing. But nobody wanted to buy this house because it smelled of smoke. It's outdated. It has a pool that needs a lot of work. Yeah. you know, It's not attractive to... Uh, landlords because the pool is a liability. It's not attractive to flippers because the pool is a liability in this area. Pools aren't cool.
3: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I would say the most uh, media alluded to this, the most difficult part for us about a live and flip is finding the right deal in the first place. So what, what we like to do is work backwards. So with this house, for example, we looked at it and our first thought was, okay, what would this house sell for in perfect condition if it was all done? So, you always start with the end in mind and it, it turns out this one it probably could go for 600, maybe a little bit more. And then you think, okay, how much work is going to go into it? Eh, maybe 75,000. And then finally, what could we get it for? And we want there to be a buffer in there because nothing goes as you think it would. And plus it's your time. Uh, we're going to have to buy tile cabinets, flooring, all this stuff, but I'm also going to have to put my time in and a lot of people don't take that into account, but My time is valuable. I'd probably rather be doing, I don't know what else I'd rather be doing, but uh, hiking or mountain biking or something like that. (laughs) Snowboarding sounds like more fun than than doing a toilet. So I want to make sure there's a big spread in there. So all things being equal, we'll be able to buy this thing, put our money into it, put our time into it. And there's a highly reasonable chance that we'll be able to make at least $100,000 from it. So, and it's a gamble. I I would say the main issue with a long-term flip is, it's going to be at least two years before we sell it. And we don't know what the economy is going to be doing in two mm-hmm. years from now. No clue. There could be a, another horrible recession. We have no idea. But the great thing about a flip and maybe the most powerful thing is if that happens, our worst case scenario is it's our primary home. We just continue to live here. No yeah. big deal. Life, uh, life goes on and we sell it in eight years instead of two. And that actually happened to us. We bought a luxury home in 2006. And you know, what happened right after that. And <laughs> the market that was hit the hardest were luxury lakefront homes. And we held that bag for longer than we thought we would, but, but it was our primary house. We had to live somewhere anyway. So we just enjoyed that home for longer than we had planned. So you said something,
1: Mindy, a little while ago, uh, that's, I think, very key, which is you're buying a habitable home. Yes. Because, you know, a flipper can buy a non habitable home, and they're going to finance it with hard money and make it habitable. Uh, a bur, someone doing the burr method can buy an uninhabitable home, uh, use hard money or cash or whatever to make it habitable. Are you using traditional bank financing to buy the house
0: initially? I am because this is my primary residence. So I can get the lowest interest rate loan possible, the owner-occupied primary residence loan. We have traditionally put down 20% so we don't pay PMI, but I just helped a guy buy a house and his PMI is, I want to say it's $70 a month, but he would have had to sell stocks to get to 20%. He's like, oh, that would have cost me way more to sell the stocks than it would this, this pittance $70. So he's actually keeping his PMI. So that's something we're going to look into in the future. How low can we go down payment while still, you know, having a a reasonable PMI? I don't think $500 is worth it. A PMI of $500 a month is worth it for me to not put that much down. But yeah, we traditionally get just a regular old loan and, Habitable is probably, I should put an asterisk in there, because with an FHA loan, they want you to have appliances, I believe, or maybe a VA loan, they want you to have appliances in the property. And the last house we bought had a dishwasher and nothing else. And it was a foreclosure. They left the dishwasher because it didn't work. Oh, thanks. So <laughs> we had to go buy a whole kitchen full of appliances and have them delivered so that we could get into the property Well, and so we could live there, but like, that's not a big deal. I don't consider that uninhabitable, but if it didn't have, you know, maybe all the copper pipes were gone. Well, then that's not habitable to me and I would have to make arrangements to make it habitable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the, the smoke smell in this house made it uninhabitable to me, but I also knew that it was easy to fix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. But the bank is not looking at a smoke smell as
0: uninhabitable. They look at no no plumbing. No, and we actually paid cash for this house because it was such a smoking hot deal. We just didn't want to wait for bank financing to come through. We are in the process of refining now. Gotcha, gotcha. You said you bought it in September? Yes. Okay.
1: And when did you move in?
0: We moved in at the end of October.
1: Gotcha. And you held on to your, you held on to that old house, which is not normally what you would do. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. We normally sell it and then move to the next house. But this one we held on to because we bought it for such a low price and the market has increased so much. We can rent it and make money. We're renting it right now to three friends and then for a short term until May. And then we're going to turn it into an Airbnb. And pry our hand at that and see how that works. It's super fun.
2: Are you going to do it as like a short-term vacation rental? Are you looking at like corporate or uh, like longer short-term sort of things?
0: (laughs) I think initially we're going to try it just on Airbnb as a vacation rental. But I mean, if somebody wants to pay me a higher rate (laughs) to live there for two months straight, you can reach me at.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we Um, talked about doing some of the longer... You know, corporate rentals, things like
1: that. Yeah. You know, the challenge with, uh, of course, with short-term rentals is just that you, the regulatory landscape in the United States is so uncertain, you know, unless you're going to an area that is, that's been doing short-term rentals for years and years and years, you know, you never want to know when the city is just going to go, yeah, we don't like this anymore. And, uh, but you already own it. It already works as a long-term rental. I tend I tend to try to discourage people from buying like Hey, I'm gonna go to Las Vegas and I'm gonna buy a short term buy a house for a short term rental and I'm like Okay, well, what would it rent if you tried to rent it long term Oh, like a thousand bucks and you're buying it for $200,000? dollars uh, You're gonna be underwater in a real hurry if the if
0: the if
1: the city changes the rules and says you can't do it anymore
0: um, Right and if there is one city that has a strong hotel lobby. I would guess that to be uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but you, you do, you-, you do bring up a really good point. If you don't know your city's Airbnb laws, you need to find them out now before you buy the property because they can change on a whim and they do change on a whim. And you know, this house will work in a variety of ways. Yeah. The longer Term, short term rentals like nurses or the oil and gas industry or, you know, that sort of thing is a great alternative. What I see a lot of cities doing is limiting the amount of time you can rent to a minimum of 30 days. Mm-hmm. So these, you know, the traveling nurses is a good way to bypass that. And they'll, they'll be willing to pay more money per month than a traditional rental because they're not going to be there that long. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's important to
2: have backup plans when you invest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what is the most frustrating thing about living in a house you're flipping?
3: <laughs> oh, we've got some good stories around this. Well, <laughs> oh, we want to hear them. <laughs> yeah, it's not all it's not all money bags and granite countertops. Uh, there's some rough parts. I, I think this was in the Geneva house. It was like the middle of winter. So it's freezing cold. And if you've ever done drywall work before, it's impossible to do it and not get dust everywhere. Like you can seal it with like 5,000 tarps and somehow that dust will find a way out. So we were working like crazy. We'd be up till midnight. We'd be waking up at 6 a.m. to go to our normal job. So life was rough. And Mindy had done the laundry and there was this basket of, of laundry. She'd just done all these clothes, nicely folded up and, and uh, we're doing this drywall work, and it was cold out. It's like 13 degrees outside, so we're freezing. And uh, the house, we go, I go to look at the clothes, and there's like a layer of drywall dust on top of the clothes. And I think she started crying at that time. <laughs> it, was a, it was a low point. Uh, and you're living in a construction zone for a lot of this. So we just rehabbed a bathroom in our office, so it's a pain. Hey, can I come stay in your guest bedroom? Well, you could, but our guest bedroom currently has like wires hanging out of the ceiling. Just don't touch those, or else you <laughs> might get shocked. <laughs> so I'm sure we've got lots of other good stories about um, chaos. Our, our last house was super cold. The furnace went out, and like half the house was tarped off, so it was cold to begin with. And remember that the furnace went out like in January. And so yeah, you'll definitely run into. You got to be able to be uncomfortable for uh, a while. Hey, it's not all terrible, but you're going to live in a construction zone. There's no way around that. What we try to do to mitigate this is plan very carefully and, uh, work very, very hard to get projects done very quickly. I'm not Mm -hmm. afraid of working 12 or 16 hours a day and just nail the kitchen out, rip the cabinets out one day, rip the tile out the same day and have the kitchen fully functional within a week. That's what we did in our last house. And yeah, let me tell you, it was a lot of work, but it was also nice having that work done quickly. So do you have any, what horse stories do you have?
0: Yeah, well, and, you know, we planned that kitchen based on so many other kittens that we didn't plan. We have two kids and their favorite person on earth is my sister. So we flew her out to our house and basically, I mean, we arranged it in advance, but she took care of the kids Uh, we worked on this. So we had already pulled the cabinets off. We had already pulled the, the tile off the floors, but we had to move a wall. We had to, we were moving the refrigerator from one part of the kitchen to a different part of the kitchen. So, and then like swapping it with the oven. So the gas line had to move and the water line had to move. And some of that work could have been done in advance, but some of it couldn't. So once she got there, We really just made sure we had, you know, we went to Home Depot and bought every piece of, you know, every PVC fitting they had so that we didn't have to go and, you know, oh, I didn't get the two inch to one inch one. So now I have to go back. We bought it all in advance and then just take it back and return it when you're done. So a little, a a lot of pre planning goes a really long way. Yeah. Drywall day is the worst day of your life. It's like, find a hotel. You know what I was going to say, it's like you gave a bottle of baby powder to a two-year-old and said, go crazy because it's (laughs) everywhere. So if you're not excited about that and you shouldn't be because it's horrible, find a hotel and go to the hotel, let the drywall guys come in, make it look beautiful. They're not going to clean up after themselves as well as you would, but if they clean up most of the way, Mm -hmm. then you can go in there with the kids, not with you, and clean Just knowing what you're getting into in advance, have a plan when you're doing the kitchen, have a plan for meals. And if you're going out to dinner every single night, that's fine, you know, plan that in advance. Your crock pot is going to be really, really helpful, your Instant Pot is going to be really helpful. But just make plans in advance for these life altering repairs that you're doing. You know, if you have two bathrooms changing out a toilet in one is no big deal. Don't do them both at the same time, (laughs) unless they're both not working. Like that's a silly choice. But if you don't think ahead, maybe you think that we actually had one bathroom in the beginning. So we didn't remodel that. That was just a really ugly bathroom for a long time until we built the other parts. So we could have another place to you know take a shower or whatever. Mm. But planning is definitely your best friend. And
3: all these problems, despite the pain, despite the multiple tetanus shots that I've had to have, it all seems worthwhile at the end when you get a huge tax-free check, all those things fade into the background. Woo,
0: more money. Yeah, it's like childbirth. When you're going through it, you're like, Oh my goodness, this is so awful. And then they put the baby in your hands and you're like, Oh, I want to do this again. <laughs> you get that fat check at the end and you're like, it makes I'm you totally forget doing about all again. the bad
1: things that yeah. came before it. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yes. So,
1: so talk a little bit about that process when it comes time to sell, you know, you, you, you're a real estate agent. You've written a book about how to sell your house, which, and remind me of the title so people can look it up.
0: I believe it's called how to sell your house. Oh,
1: by Mindy Jensen.
0: (laughs) By Mindy Jensen. Look it
1: up. We'll put it in the show notes. Like talk about that. You know, you're living in it. Do you stage it? Or are you, you know, what kinds of things are you doing to sort of, you know, maximize your profit
0: there on the sale end? We have always kept the house extremely clean. I wouldn't say it's staged because, you know, it, we use our furniture. It's the same stuff that we've got. But when you go into a child's bedroom, there isn't crap all over the floor. The carpet's vacuumed, the bed is made, everything's put away neatly. And you just, a clean house is always going to show much better than a cluttered house. Mm-hmm. So you just keep the whole the whole house clean all the time, as little stuff in the house as possible. You don't want a bookshelf completely crammed with books because then it doesn't look like there's any room in that bookshelf for more books. Yeah. We bought a house once. Every closet was so jam-packed with clothes. I didn't even know how she got clothes in or out. It was really, really just... <laughs> So you want to make things look airy and light and, and spacious and open and, you know, no pictures of yourself and your kids. You want random, you know, generic pictures, but yeah, keep it clean and be ready to show it at a moment's notice. I'm sure you've seen houses where they say, Oh, 24 hours notice required. Don't have 24 hours notice, have one hour notice or two hour notice. And then just always keep it ready to go.
3: One unusual tip, which we did that's helped us a ton is, uh, get a real estate license. Minnie got her license. And the main point of it was not to help other people buy and sell houses, but it was for us to save on the transaction costs because we knew we'd be doing this over and over again, especially if, if you're in a place where a house costs $500,000, 3% of your side of the deal is $15,000. You took an online course and got your license for less than $1,000 and a couple months worth of work. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that unless you're going to do many deals, but it's, if you are going to do many deals, it's it definitely worthwhile.
1: So now you you've achieved fire. You have opened up the world of accredited investing, and you guys are now able to invest in real estate syndications. When did you start doing that? And can you sort of talk talk to our audience a little bit about what what that involves and what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and things like that?
3: Our first one was October twenty sixteen, and the main reason we did it was to diversify away from stocks. At the time, we did not have any real estate except for our primary home. So we wanted a little bit of a, a hedge against stocks, maybe hedge isn't the right word, but we wanted to be diversified. The stock market's been on an incredible run and I don't like having all my eggs in one basket. So the syndications we've bought into are value adds, where a company will buy a huge apartment complex, maybe 500 units. Uh, they need to raise tens of millions of dollars. So we could get some money over time. they rehab the apartment, they rehab the apartments, they might build a new building, make the place better and sell it usually like a five to ten year time frame. I think we have about seven or eight of those deals now I lost track. The thing I like about them is they're completely hands off. they're completely passive. We don't do a thing after we wire our initial money to them. The thing I don't like about them is you can look at the numbers all day long, but there's so many subjective measures to it too. Uh, We have one that's actually underperformed, and uh, all the numbers look great initially. And it's in a hot area; it's in Texas, in a city that's doing really, really well. And I happen to own another syndication, like a mile away from this one, that's doing extremely well. So I I asked that syndicator, "Well, why isn't this one doing well?" He's like, "Well, that's in a. I would never buy in that part of town, even though it's a mile away. It's across the expressways. That like they overpaid for that. Everything has a price that makes it worthwhile, but." They overpaid for that. And the reason was this syndicator was unfamiliar with the area. They were from a different state and this was their first out-of-state deal and and they fumbled it. All their numbers look great, but they didn't get that subjective measure, which is, was probably more important than anything. They failed on that. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. But uh, <laughs> after that experience, I like investing with syndicators who are doing work in their own backyard. I don't like out-of-state deals. and. Uh, it's gotten very competitive. It's hard to find deals because there's a lot of people doing this now. So tread carefully.
0: Yeah, definitely the, the whole, uh, it's difficult to find a good deal now. You know, when you look at these two deals on paper that he's talking about in Texas, like, oh, those should both really perform well. Their projected numbers, I believe, were very similar. And they're so close to each other. Oh, that totally makes sense. But, but like you know, in your city, on the other side of that expressway or, you know, south of Eastern Avenue is nobody goes there, but the numbers look really great on paper. So, you know, definitely if you're going to consider it to go with somebody who invests locally, I think that's a really great tip. Yeah,
1: Well, and in, in syndicating some of the the smartest people I've ever talked to who are heavily involved in syndication is that the operator actually makes probably a bigger deal than the actual deal. Finding, finding the operator, finding the person, the sponsor, who's going to be running the deal and finding it and operating it. That's probably a bigger deal than the actual deal because somebody, a bad person can make a good deal go bad. A good person can make a bad deal. Good.
3: Yeah. I completely agree with that. Find the right person. There's one we use and I would probably give them money no matter what they did because they've exceeded all their expectations and I've met them in person. I know they're Solid people, I know if the deal went bad, it would be because it it wouldn't be because of them. It would be because something went drastically wrong that was completely unanticipated, like a some geopolitical conflict or who knows what. But yeah, yeah, yeah. the person I think is the most important thing for a syndication deal, yeah. the operator.
1: All right, so my last question. So, so often, you know, people have this vision of of financial independence, and they're thinking, "Well, oh, I'm just going to sit on a beach and." And drink uh, pina coladas all day long, or I'm just going to snowboard all, all all day long. But one of I think Mindy, you're a wonderful example of of what happens when you have sort of removed the pressure of needing to earn the money to to live. Is that you can now take a little more risks on the kinds of jobs that you take. You can take a job that that you just love that maybe doesn't pay all that well or take a job at that startup that is maybe going to be there in 5 years or maybe not
0: yeah i was able to find a job of my dreams i have had various different careers in my life and you know i've never loved a job i've liked a job i've hated a lot of jobs but i've never had one that i was so excited to go to and you know, I discovered this random website called Bigger Pockets at a conference and I went on and I thought, Oh, there's no way this, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to make an account because, you know, they're going to be like, Oh, give us your credit card number. I promise I won't <laughs> charge you and then charge me. So I would just go and I would look at this. I love real estate. I just love looking at deals, talking about deals helping people figure out what's the best way to go. And then they started advertising this job that was perfect for me. And, you know, the stars aligned. And now, because we're financially independent, they do happen to pay really well, but I don't have to worry about that. They are an internet startup. When it comes down to it, they could fold tomorrow. They're not going to, but they could. And where would I be? I don't have to worry about you know, working for a solid company that's, you know, have, has a long track record and this sounds like I'm talking back about bigger pockets. I'm not, they are a solid company and they actually have been around for way longer than you would expect. It's 15 years, but I don't have to worry about the money. And if they closed tomorrow, I could take a step back and like, Oh, well, what else seems kind of cool now? I can take chances because, you know, the money's taken care of. And he was able to, Quit the job that gave him so much stress, and now he spends all of his time doing way too many things and doesn't have time <laughs> to work.
3: Neil, I thought your question was going to go in a different direction like, why are we working? Because uh, it's kind of surreal, but at this point in our lives, we have all the money we need. We would never have to, we could drink pina coladas and uh, snowboard all day, but I think that would be uh, like, I don't actually like vacations because not accomplishing things, not working drives me nuts. But now the work we do is for happiness. I could make far more money if I still wanted to code and do that. But I like doing tile. I like running this co-working space that we own in downtown Longmont. So we're doing the work that makes us happy. Uh, Some of it makes money, some of it doesn't. But that's our measure of why we do work now we're not it's good to make money but we don't have to do it and uh, that's going to make a greater point with that and now escape me but <laughs> we're we're working for happiness now our our paycheck is happiness and if we don't like to do it we just stop there. yeah
0: and I, that's you know that's a really good point because i'm excited I go to work every day. And I know anybody listening has had that job where they're like, oh, God, my alarm went off again. I hate my job. I don't want to get up. I don't want to take a shower. I don't want to drive to work. I don't want to be here. And I actually feel guilty. Going to work sometimes. I'll be leaving the house when <laughs> the should. girls are fighting. <laughs> the girls are fighting and he's dealing with that and trying to get them to get ready to go to school. And I'm like, Fine, I'm gonna go to work and have a great time. <laughs> See yeah. ya. Like, I'm I'm going someplace that I want to go to. Yeah. Every time I go to work, I'm excited to go there. On the weekend, I still Hop on bigger pockets and check out the forums because it is literally my favorite website in the history of all websites ever. Yeah. And I can't believe I get to work there.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's like the major tenet of fire. It's not it, you know, it can be that you're financially independent and you can do whatever you want. And also I think that most people when they go to that place of I can do whatever I want, it can be work. Kind of stuff. It can look like work, but it's work that you love, just like you've said. I mean, really, for me, I have trained, I'm a nutritionist. I'm a certified nutritionist right now because I work full time and technically I'm a nutritionist at the homeopathic clinic that I work at. But, you know, I, I, because I'm working full time, I don't really have a lot of time to do the fun like recipe development or, you know, talk about stuff on Instagram. And that might not make me money, but if we were financially independent, I could do that more and have it be fun. And it may make me money eventually, you know, it could be an influencer. I don't know. I don't care about that, but it's something that I can do and not feel guilty about it or feel like it's taking away from my family. And I don't know, it's just, it's something to say that it, it's, it's probably the biggest Mm -hmm. pro (laughs) to fire, maybe besides like just being financially solid and not having to worry about stuff.
0: (laughs) You get to choose the life that you want to live.
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I was going to say real quick, when you do the work you love, you tend to do a really good job at it because you're doing what you're passionate about. And when you do a really good job at it, like people will want to pay you for whatever you're doing. So even though you didn't set out to make money, you end up making money anyway, which is kind of how our life turned out, which is so surreal and so good. I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, I, I write on this blog, and I never thought anyone would read it, but now it makes us lots of money, which is crazy. I never saw it coming, and I would do it for free, and I did do it for free for three years. So when I made like a dollar for the first three years,
2: I paid to do it actually for the hosting and all that. Oh
3: yeah, so yeah. I just continue to do the same thing now because I can and like it
2: that's awesome
1: well there you know there's a very famous piece of advice which is you know do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life which is great advice however the problem is do what you love that people will pay you to do because I like making pizza or uh, or I like eating pizza uh, and you know you know, people are probably not going to pay me a lot of money to eat pizza.
3: I don't know. I can see a YouTube or Instagram account,
1: <laughs> the
2: pizza guy.
3: Quick, see if that's taken.
0: Oh, <laughs> the pizza guy who tries all the different kinds of pizza. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah well, you yeah. could
2: make it like that. There's a, a, someone I follow that she she's like a home cook and she loves to make pizza in different ways. And now she has like a pizza podcast with a couple other people and they <sighs> do other things. So like you can really make anything something and, and it's – but yeah, it's just it, if you enjoy it, you do. You're right, Carl. You do it better and then it becomes valuable because you're able to do it in a way that that seems more important. You're putting more into it. So
3: so I have one very important question. I'm sorry, Neil. I'm going to hijack your okay. podcast for a while. I'm, <laughs> I'm a Chicago native, so I am obsessed with pizza. You might know we have deep dish pizza, but what is your That's favorite not pizza? Piece? <laughs> oh! oh you my heart. i quit i'm out oh.
1: what is your favorite
3: style of pizza it's i not like
1: deep. no no uh, i like i like sort of a, just a normal crust i like uh pepperoni spicy sausage uh black olives
3: and uh jalapenos okay so we are going to be you're in las vegas correct correct mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to be there in March. Can we buy you a pizza from whatever your favorite? I've been to Secret Pizza like at the on the strip and I've been to some other ones, but yeah. I'd love to taste your favorite pizza in Las of Vegas course. if you have a favorite one. Of course. Well, we'd
2: love to go out to dinner yes. with you guys. I think maybe Domino's might be Yeah, yeah. They're a little Italian I drink. thought you were
0: going to say Domino's. Oh, my yeah, God, no.
2: Domino- <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> Domino's. No. My my it's this dad would be place s- that it delivers. Yeah, no. My dad would be so <laughs> disappointed if I said that. He he makes pizza. We actually My family, they, they came to town for Christmas and, uh, Neil's family, his, his parents are here and then more of his family came into town and we did like a pizza night and he made pizza for everybody. So he usually makes more of the, it's not thin crust, the kind of like Italian crust where it has like a nice, nice crust on that. And that's what I like. I like the bread part. I I like the toppings as well, but you know, the, if the dough is well-made, that's my favorite part. Yep
1: you Speak in my language. Yes. <laughs> All right. and, well,
2: and deep dish is, is good. You can ignore him. I, I'm okay. just joking. I, I, I think I there's appreciate a, that. Yes. <laughs> I knew there
3: had to be one logical person in this. <laughs> 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 well, Carl, Mindy,
1: thank you so much for sharing us with sharing with us today. If any of our guests want to reach out to you, uh, what would where would they need to go?
3: Our blog is Mr.
0: 1500 at 1500days.com. You can reach me any place on Bigger Pockets or email me Mindy at BiggerPockets.com. Gotcha. Awesome. Right.
1: Well, thanks for joining us today. You guys have a great one.
0: Thanks for having us. We had a great time. Have a good one.
1: Thank you. Okay, that was Mindy and Carl Jensen from Fifteen Hundred Days and Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. You know, for what for you, what was the the biggest lesson learned?
2: I think what I took away from from this in I think we can extrapolate this out to to almost any deal, but you really want to look at what you're buying and kind of plan it out. Like look at it for what your end goal is and then work backwards from there. I mean, really, you should be doing that with just about any real estate <laughs> that you're buying. but it's just something to be reminded of. And you know in this instance, there's different things that you have to look at. Is it habitable? because you're doing a live, live and flip, it needs to be habitable. And you also need to have a plan for how to do that, the improvements and, you know, what you're going to do down the line. So anyway, I think that's just a reminder that is good to keep in mind.
1: Well, I think it's important to always have multiple exit strategies as yes. well. You yeah. Know, we, uh, as we talked briefly about short-term rentals, people buying short-term rentals in cities that are maybe not necessarily always have not always been friendly to short-term rentals if they're buying it only to do it as a short-term rental uh, you can get in trouble with if the city ever comes through and goes yep can't do that anymore
2: yeah yeah and it's nice to have you know that's that's with our burr we have a burr but we could flip it we could do it as a short-term rental probably not a vacation rental but a a corporate rental would work and you know and and maybe a short-term rental or like a vacation rental i have no idea um we haven't really checked out that, but we have, you know, we have three paths that we can go down that we know um, are pretty confident that we can work with that. So if one of them doesn't work out, you know, for whatever reason, we need to get, ditch it before we really get a renter in there. We can do that and still make money on it for you, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's more of a, of a overall mindset of financial independence is if you're if you are a married couple or uh if you have a significant other and you want this is something you want to do uh you need to have a conversation with your significant other and really talk about where where you want to be in 5 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not big on making like 10 year goals and things like that. I just think things change too much. Yeah. But I am 5 years, 4 years, yeah. 3 years, 2 years, I 1. I think you
2: can make like Ten-year intentions. Yes. Maybe sort of yeah. amorphous, like, yes. things that, that you know, the the details might change, but the feelings about what's going on might be yes. more, keep the same, like, stay the same. Just the, the details would change. Yep. But. Yep.
1: Okay. So how did they acquire their knowledge that allows them to do uh, live in their,
2: Yeah. Well, they do a lot of research. I mean... Early on, it sounds like they, you know, they bought books, they did, you know, they looked at and specifically flips, you know, it's a lot of the DIY stuff and uh, learning about real estate and how to buy real estate. Um, So now I think most of it is like YouTube, that kind of thing. And then it's just been utilizing the resources that they have to learn it on their own. As far as I know, they didn't have any kind of like mentors or anything that really um, helped them. They just sort of.
1: YouTube was their mentor.
2: They DIY'd it in all of the ways. (laughs) So money, we didn't really get like super specific with money. We know they downsized.
1: Yeah, I know they were, they were already, they were already pretty well on their way to financial independence when they discovered the fire movement because they were both very, they're both frugal people and they were Mm -hmm. savers and, but, uh, you know, for someone, if we're talking just live-in flips, you know, it really comes down to you're buying a habitable house so you can get a traditional mortgage on it. So, you know, you can get in for 20% down and avoid the PMI or you can go in with an FHA loan, uh, which can go in for as little as I think 3.5% down. So, we didn't get into specific about, you know, what that would cost. Yeah. them. also, we didn't get into really specifics about the cost of the cost of the materials for the rehab and
2: yeah, doing all those yeah. and how they
1: fund that. Um,
2: I mean, I assume that they're buying as low as they can, but keeping it habitable and then getting as much equity in there as they can. It sounded like, you know, if they can make a hundred thousand dollars off of the property, that was something that they were, I, I feel like that got mentioned at some point. So it's going to depend on the market really what, how much, you're buying a house for. The Fayetteville market that we're buying burrs in is probably much lower than the market that they're buying in. Correct. Of course, they're usually not buying things for cash. They did buy the house that they're currently in from cat for cash, but because you only have to put, you know, you can do it as a regular loan and you're only putting a certain amount down, you're able to sort of you, you can
1: they can then refinance and yeah. pull. And
2: you can have you can have a bigger, you know, you can buy a, a more expensive Property, as long as the numbers work, obviously. Yep. But for us, because we're doing, you know, cash, it can't be, yeah, a certain like above a certain yep. amount. So, anyway, how much time do they spend on real estate?
1: I would say a lot. I mean, Mindy's a real estate agent, but she obviously does, she doesn't really do it necessarily to help, she doesn't do it full time to help other people buy homes. So yeah. Do it to, to basically save money, friends. transactions. Yep. And then she works. She works for Bigger Pockets, which yeah. is a real estate website, and she does that pretty much full time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then Carl is essentially working on the flips, and it sounds like he really likes to do the DIY stuff. And then he's also, you know, kind of he's. They said they own a co-working space, Correct. and yeah. even though that's not strictly like real estate as far as probably the running of it, I would kind of consider that a part of the yes, yeah. the thing, the, um, you know, taking care of your investment. So. They do it a lot. But as we discussed, they it's it's what they love. And so it doesn't feel like work. Yes.
1: Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world?
2: You know, we didn't get into that. But theoretically, I mean, the the world market outside of the United States, I don't know how you would if you would do that or not. I don't know the answer there. But theoretically, you could do this and across the united states you just have to find the right market
1: i think they are i think it would be hard to do it in the way that they're doing it yeah uh, well they're living flip.
2: in they yeah. would have to i mean it's not something you have to pick a spot and stay there for a while yeah i just what i mean is that you can so you yes in the short term you cannot do it anywhere like while you're doing it but you can pick where you're doing it to do it for the long term so yes but typically we are talking about, can you do it from anywhere in the world? Yeah. Um,
1: can you be lo- location independent? location
2: independent? And, and they cannot, I will say, however, that I'm sure they can, they don't, they're not beholden to someone else and they're no. not needing to manage a rental or anything. I mean, they have a rental, but it, strictly, you know, the house that they live in. So they can go on vacations. Mm-hmm. They can leave it it's their timeline so they get to decide okay that's you know we're we're taking a break with the renovations and and you know taking a trip around the world and whatever yeah. so
1: okay once again that was mindy and carl jensen from mr 1500 and bigger pockets money podcast uh, we loved having them and we look forward to seeing them again very soon
2: all right let's hit the road bye bye
1: And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.